So yes, we're taking a break from our uh, uh, series in Acts to uh, look at the book of Philemon. If you haven't found it yet, it is a very small letter um, that is after Titus. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read that here in just a minute. Uh, Philemon is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, At only 25 verses, it's a pretty short book. And though it is not the shortest book in the Bible or even the New Testament, it is Paul's shortest letter. However, don't let the size fool you. Philemon is a dynamite, comes in small packages situation. Philemon is the gospel in action. Philemon is a personal letter to a friend and fellow believer. It is a plea for the sake of another and for the sake of God's glory. Let's turn to today's text. We're going to read the entire book of Philemon. God's word says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But... I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I pray that these words that I've just read would sink into our hearts, that they would uh, be glorifying to you as we uh, go through them together and try to understand exactly what is the purpose of such a small personal letter inserted into the canon of Scripture. I pray that we would, uh, by understanding it better, know you better, 
that we would feel closer to you, that we would feel more deeply in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting at verse 1, he says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Here it's necessary to make a few introductions. Currently, Pastor Jake is leading us through the book of Acts, and even though we have not gotten uh, this far yet to learn about Paul, uh, most of us already know who Paul is, but maybe not all of us. So, small spoiler alert here, I want to talk briefly about Paul, who we will learn much more about when we continue through our series in Acts. We meet Paul in Acts 7. We meet him as a young man named Saul. He's a Pharisee who persecutes the early church. He is tenaciously trying to stop the Christian movement dead in its tracks. When he meets Jesus in a vision, everything changes. He becomes an apostle. He spends the rest of his life on mission for the good news of the risen Christ. Saul and Paul are the same man. And although some of us, if not all of us, may have heard it said that Jesus changed Saul's name to Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, that is actually not the case. Um, Paul is a Greek-speaking Jew who would have, like many other Greek-speaking Jews, had two names, a Greek name as well as a Hebrew one. In fact, after his conversion, uh, this man is referred to as Saul 11 more times. In Acts 13.9, Luke gives us the name Paul when he writes, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, etc. And then from Acts 13, 13 on, he is simply referred to as Paul. So that's Paul, and he wrote this letter while in house arrest in Rome. Paul was accompanied by Timothy. Paul picked up Timothy in Acts 16, where it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to come with him. And the verse continues. So Timothy would have been Paul's scribe and companion and, of course, disciple. Timothy was later a leader of the church in Ephesus. And two of Paul's letters to Timothy are canonized as part of the New Testament. Philemon was a wealthy man in or near Colossae who had a church in his house. He, was most li- he had most likely heard the gospel while Paul was teaching in Ephesus. Apthia could have been Philemon's wife or possibly just a female relative. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, as he's titled, was most likely an elder of the church in Philemon's house, or perhaps an evangelist who was part of the church. He is mentioned in Colossians 4.17, where it says, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the mission that you have received in the Lord. These may have been mentioned in the letters by means of establishing accountability to Philemon, considering Paul's request regarding Onesimus. Or simply, Paul knew them and wanted to greet them as well. At this time, Rome was hostile towards Christians, so there would have been no church building, and early believers would have to meet in private homes. The church in Philemon's house may or may not have been the only one in Colossae. There are valid arguments favoring either point of view. Either way, it is apparent, since the church was mentioned in the greeting, that this letter was meant to be read to the whole congregation after Philemon himself read it. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This greeting is identical to the greeting in Ephesians and near identical to the greeting in Colossians. These three letters were carried from Paul in Rome 
to their respective audiences by Onesimus and Tychicus. After the signature Pauline formalities, he goes on to praise Philemon for the work he is doing. In verse 4, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I don't believe these loving words are simply a means to prime Philemon for what is going to be a bold request from Paul. They're words of love and respect. They're words of encouragement. They're affirmation. He is saying, I see Christ in you. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And in the words of the great theologian of our day, Kevin Michael McKeehan, well, it's crazy to imagine words from my lips as the arms of compassion. Mountains crumble with every syllable, hope can live or die. So speak life, speak life to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted, watch them come alive. As soon as you speak hope, you speak love. You speak, you speak life, oh, 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 you speak life, oh, 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 oh. Kevin Michael McKeehan, better known by his stage name, Toby Mack. I want to read to you two letters that I received in which my brothers spoke life to me. I don't read them to toot my own horn or to pat my own self on the back, but as an example of what this kind of encouragement can look like. Both of these letters are dear to me because they display genuine appreciation. But I've removed the names of the authors and only slightly altered the content in order that they may remain anonymous. The first one is an email. Hey, Chris. I meant, this, I meant to send this email last week, but I couldn't find your email until getting a worship guide this past Sunday. I wanted to send a note of thanks for a couple of things. First... It may not have seemed like a big deal to you, but when you asked me to help you the other day, it actually meant a lot to me. I have at times had trouble connecting and feeling a part of mission, so I really did appreciate you including me in that. It may have been small, but in a weird way, it truly did make me feel welcome and a part of the church. Secondly, I want to thank you for how you've been leading our small group on Wednesday night. You always guide us through the material thoughtfully, but even take it beyond that to encompass much more than the text. Your thoughtful questions and most of all your willingness to lead by example, opening up about your day-to-day struggles is truly a blessing to our group. I look forward to every Wednesday night and I know I will leave refreshed and realigned and take on the rest of the week with God at the front of my mind. Just wanted to say thank you for all you're doing at Mission. You're an inspiration and you're doing an amazing job leading Mission. Keep up the good work. Thanks and God bless. That particular email came at just the right time for me when attendance was low during our Wednesday night discipleship groups and I was doubting myself as a leader. The next one is a handwritten letter to my wife and I. Chris and Brandy. Hey guys, I had to look at a house just down the road on 283 so I thought I'd stop by and drop a little note. So you 
drove to my house and left me a note. My wife and I love you so much that we have you two as examples, as friends, as people we look up to, as people that just feel like home. I hope that our mansions in heaven have a breezeway that connects us. Chris, you're such a strong man, husband and leader, and I absolutely love to listen anytime you open your mouth to speak. You have such a kind and gentle spirit about you. When I had dreams as a kid of friends, I always wanted to have such a solid and strong friend as you, but you're even better because you're real. I love you, man. Thank you for your candor, your honesty, and your heart. Brandflakes, that's my wife's nickname, so. Uh, Brandflakes, what can I say? You are such a fantastic part of our lives. You are also so strong, and you have such a heart and compassion for people that I envy in a good way. I think that Mission and Forney and Kaufman, wherever you go, are so blessed in all that God has gifted you in. I just love all that you do and say and are about. Thank you for loving my wife and I so well. Thank you for your kindness, care, and strength. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being two that we feel strongly about looking up to. P.S. Hi, Penelope. That one is still on my refrigerator and has only come down once so I could photocopy it for this sermon. I only hope that I can live up to the words in these letters. Thank you both for these gifts of encouragement. You know who you are. I believe that Philemon would have been very much encouraged as he read Paul's letter. After all, Paul, who's imprisoned a thousand miles away in Rome, has heard of his love and faith and remembers him in his prayers. Paul probably even hopes that their mansions have a breezeway that is shared when, go to, when they go to heaven. What joy Philemon must feel as he is reading this. But now Paul gets down to the truer purpose of his letter. Let's pick back up in verse 4. Excuse me, verse 8. Starting at verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I want to pause here briefly only because I think it's important to point out that Paul absolutely has the spiritual authority to command Philemon to release Onesimus. Um, he chooses not to do that. He appeals to him on the basis of love. Um, so he has that authority spiritually, but he does not, however, have the legal authority so far as the Roman Empire is concerned. Because, it was, as we'll see in just a minute, Onesimus is Philemon's slave, and slavery in this time and place is legal, and slave owners have rights under Roman law. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul refers to many other believers as spiritual children, but this particular man is known to Philemon. This man ran away and by God's providence encounters Paul in Rome and becomes a believer. In verse 11, Paul says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted with you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
Paul is making what would have been in this time and culture a radical request of Philemon. Onesimus is a runaway slave, and he belongs to Philemon. He may or may not have stolen from Philemon in order to fund his getaway. But that's not really the issue here. Onesimus is Philemon's legal property. Philemon would have had social status and was probably well-known in his community. We don't know if Philemon was a kind master or not. We don't know if he was converted before Onesimus ran away or after. He might have even complained to his neighbors about this runaway and even verbalized his intent to do him harm should he ever find him. Slaves were expensive. The price of a slave at the time would be about nine times the annual wage of a hired laborer. Philemon could have sold Onesimus if he was displeased with him, but he didn't get the chance. But now, on the other side of the cross, Philemon is confronted with a ghost from the past. He is asked to respond in a way that is totally against all societal standards. He is going to have to answer for this grace that he is asked to extend to Onesimus. Neighbors will see Onesimus and ask Philemon about him. And what can he say? And what will his fellow Romans, what will he tell his fellow Romans regarding this man who was once his bondservant? Last week, uh, Pastor Jake taught on Acts 4. He called us to share the gospel. He acknowledged that it is not the easiest thing for us to do. But here, if Philemon complies with Paul's appeal, he won't even have to start the conversation. He'll be seen by others as different and changed. They will surely notice that he is not the same man he once was. I admit that I'm often jealous of my brother when I look out on a typical Sunday and I see the majority of the Simmons family here in the congregation. I know my own family does not live anywhere near here, but I assure you most of them are not in attendance at another church today. And no, I'm not supposing that church attendance equals salvation, but it is one of the many indicators that a person might be saved. Do your family or neighbors or coworkers ask you why you're different? Are you different? Is there anything at all about you that indicates a changed life? Philemon is being asked to walk the walk. Paul is appealing to him to live a life that reflects his faith. How would it affect his witness if Philemon started a relationship with his neighbor and began to share the gospel with him, and then he beats and humiliates his runaway slave returned? What credibility will he have if he speaks of the freedom found in Christ and he returns Onesimus to bondage? He would be sabotaging his own witness. Do you sabotage your own witness with the choices you make? Do you avoid TV shows and movies that are full of sexual content, vulgarity, and crude humor? Or is the desire to be part of the conversation around the water cooler at work too much? Do you censor your own speech according to Ephesians 5.4, which says, Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk among you as is proper among saints? Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your resources? Paul isn't worried about Philemon's response, which is why he says in verse 21 that he is confident in his obedience. And I'm confident in our obedience as well. 2 Corinthians 
3, 16 through 18 reads, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Thank God this is true. My most common prayer is, Lord, please don't leave me like this. Because in light of the holiness of God, I know that on my best day, I am no closer to equality with Christ than on my worst day. And it is only by his grace that I can even speak his name, let alone preach his gospel. Lord, help me. Verse 17, he goes on, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 18 is the gospel in so few words. Charge that to my account. That's exactly what Christ did for us in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He interceded on our behalf, paid our penalty, and restored us to right standing with the Father. And what a beautiful picture Paul gives of Christ-likeness through his own actions. And he invites Philemon to do the same. And does it not refresh your heart, as Paul puts it, when we see someone living out the gospel, caring for widows and orphans, loving the unlovely, investing in the lives of others with no expectation of reciprocation, forgiving the transgressions of those who have wronged us, praying for our enemies? Paul concludes his letter, Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends, you, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love how Paul concludes his letter. It reminds me of when my wife is on a phone call or FaceTime with Nona. That's what the grandkids call my mother-in-law. Everyone has to say bye and hi in turn, and it takes a long time. I can see Epaphras or Mark or Demas or whoever looking over Paul's shoulder as he's writing saying, Hey, tell, tell Phil I said hi. Just put that in there. It illustrates the family that is the body of Christ. So, if you're a member of this family, then I invite you to take communion with us this morning. And as we sit in solemn reflection, let this be our prayer. Lord, please don't leave me like this. Make me more like Christ today, that I may glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. And when you're ready, the elements of communion are at the back of the sanctuary. And we uh, will take them together once everybody returns. So how do we know that our eternal hope is rightly placed in Jesus? This body and this blood.
Because on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would let our lives reflect the faith that dwells in our hearts, that we would glorify you in all things, that we would, from one degree of glory to another, be changed more into the image of Christ. Pray that you would bless everyone here to seek you more, to see you more, and to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.